0: So Money episode seven fifty. Ashley Feinstein Gursley, founder of the Fiscal Fan.
1: You're listening to
0: So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. you describe your relationship with money? Hmm? Is it anything less than harmonious? If yes, then our guest today wants to help. Welcome to So Money, everyone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest today is Ashley feinstein Gersley, the founder of The Fiscal Femme. She's a life coach, money coach, keynote speaker who has made it her entire life mission to help women cultivate what she calls harmonious relationships with money and achieve their financial goals. Ashley's a former investment banker and now she spends her days as an entrepreneur working with women in particular across the country, helping them advance in their financial life. And the key she says is to develop a positive mindset when it comes to your worth. She's going to tell us how. Here we go. Here's Ashley Feinstein-Gersley. Ashley Feinstein-Gersley, welcome to So Money, aka The Fiscal Femme. Welcome to
1: So Money. Thank you so much for having me. I am a huge fan of your work and a longtime follower of the podcast, so I'm very excited to be on. I'm always
0: excited to meet and support fellow female financial nerds.
1: (laughs) I'm definitely a financial nerd and a female. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so you you fit you check off those boxes. What I find really uh, interesting about your journey is that you know you have a financial background, mm-hmm. um, yet you wanted to turn this around a little bit, this career for yourself, and really become more of like an educator as opposed to working in an in industry.
1: Yes, and it, so it was actually pretty shameful to be a finance major and then mm-hmm. a financial professional for many years and to know nothing about my own money. And I How does really, that happen? How does that happen? I've come to find that just no one knows about money. <laughs> um, but there's an extra shame around the financial professionals who don't know. and It's I like the psychiatrist that, whose life is a mess. Right. Definitely. And I, I worked at, in, in corporate finance as an investment banker. So I was dealing with companies' money. But even as a finance major, I do nothing about my own money and made a million mistakes and bled through my all my cash when I switched jobs. And so I really started the fiscal femme because I needed it myself.
0: (laughs) You've been quoted as saying that money is a feminist issue and yet women are still reluctant to talk about it. So why is it a feminist
1: issue and why are women reluctant? Great question. I so the reason I believe it's a feminist issue and a big part of our mission at the Fiscal FEM is equality. And I believe that finance and financial freedom is a really important, often overlooked part of equality, because when we're thinking about equal pay, and I talk about that a lot, but when we can't, when we are really dependent on that next paycheck, we can't negotiate as strongly as we'd want, or we have to stay in jobs where um, we don't want. And so I think in order to take risks in our careers, in order to invest in other women-owned businesses and to negotiate what we're worth. Financial stability and financial freedom is really important.
0: I, I can't agree more. I mean, I lately too, I'm sure you've been uh, addressing this in your work as a coach and speaker is the Me Too movement and how there is a, uh, a connection to your financial security and your security. your just your general overall personal sense of security, right? That I think it's no coincidence that a lot of reasons why women stay in unhealthy and scary and um, dangerous jobs is because they don't feel like they are financially empowered to leave. They stay in a particular industry. They stay working for a terrible person because, well, they're worried. If they leave, what is on the other side? Will they be able to afford the transition? Will they be able to support themselves? What Will this person blacklist them from the industry and therefore not be able to find work. And so I'm curious how that's been coming up in your conversations and what you're discovering from from that perspective.
1: From specifically the Me Too
0: movement? Yeah. And how that is changing the way, hopefully, that women think about approaching their
1: financial lives. Definitely. So I think something that I've experienced too is the the wanting, I think, to get educated. And so I would say if someone is looking to leave a job or to speak up about something that's happening. And if some, if their financial well-being is getting in the way, to I think there's definitely a push for educating and not depending on other people for our financial well-being. It's a very much an independence mm-hmm. push that yeah. I'm seeing.
0: Hopefully, we're waking up more and more to the fact that you can't just transfer the money responsibilities off to your partner or put your head in the sand. There's a lot of Individuals in relationships do, men and women sometimes, but I think most, mostly women because, uh, I was just talking to Danielle Town, who's the author of a new investing book. And, you know, her father is a very well known investor and teacher of investing. And she kind of grew up like not caring about investing. And she does believe that there's like sort of a, a female thing to that, that we just don't either feel like we can, that or that we can uh, rise to the occasion we're not interested, do you think that it's it is in our in our makeup to not care or not want to be as um involved in our finances as men, or is there something else going on?
1: So definitely not. I think there's a bunch of studies that show that actually women are better investors than men when we do invest when we do, but we do yes <laughs> when we yes. do that's the good
0: news. The bad news is that we're not doing it as much as we should.
1: Yes. And so something, one of my sheroes is Sally Krawcheck. And um, she talks a lot about the masculinity and the patriarchal system of investing and how a lot of even the wording is very masculine, bull market. Um, And when I talk to my clients about risk, there's an often association of risk being very scary. And this idea, I just think there's a lack of education around investing. And when you work really hard for your money and you're finally saving something, this idea that, oh, I could lose some is is scary and to not want to make a mistake. And what I found, even one of my big financial mistakes was taking investment advice from a coworker. And I think men are often willing to do it, even though they have no idea what they're doing. And it's so much more important to do it than to do it perfectly. And so they might not have any more idea. They're just willing to get started and we learn by doing. And so my biggest piece of advice is to get started. But I would say that it's definitely not part of our DNA. And it's something that I think it's been a boys club and hopefully more and more platforms and, and conversations like this, have it feel more accessible so that women get investing.
0: Well, speaking of accessibility, you have this thing called the 30-Day Money Cleanse. You also have a book coming out soon that's dedicated. That's kind of a, an offshoot of this 30-day transformational experience. Tell us a little bit about it and and how it differentiates from other kinds of programs on the market. Why should we do the 30-Day Money Cleanse as opposed to the 45-Day Money Makeover? You know what I mean? There's <laughs> yes. and, and, and not, not to... Not to cast any doubt on the success of your program, but I'm gonna give you the platform, I'll give you the stage to talk about why, you know, why yours is better.
1: I love it. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> so the 30-day money cleanse actually was born from trends that I saw in my one-on-one clients. So often my one-on-ones are like the research for programs, and I saw no matter how little or how much we were making, we were all struggling with very similar things around money. And so My work and the program combines the numbers, which I think most financial platforms and education is around the numbers, but I actually became a coach because yes, there's missing education and the numbers are important, but it's actually the emotional behavioral side of money that has us create those lasting results. So the course is very much about money mindset in my money philosophy. It's judgment-free, it's values-based, it's definitely not one-size-fits-all personal finance, and it helps people take control of their finances, manage their spending, and de-stress their money for good. And because it's around the money mindset piece, that it actually feels easy, and it's fun, and it's um, the the program itself is gamified. There's raffles for cash, and participation is rewarded. And so I think, and the results have been amazing, which is why I'm so excited to bring it to a larger audience with the book, the average participant saves 950 during the 30 days or 20% of their pre-tax income, which is amazing. And
0: how are they saving mostly? Are they just taking stuff out of their day-to-day spending? Are they automatically saving? What's going on?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a Great questions. So I'm very much... I'm a proponent of living really well while saving. So people might not want to take a money cleanse because they're afraid I'm going to make them stay home and eat ramen alone in order to save money. But most, (laughs) I would say most money cleansers report that they're actually living better, even though they're saving. And it's because we do a lot of things mindlessly. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in the habit of doing them. We haven't really evaluated trade-offs or we treat ourselves and don't realize, oh, that's actually not a treat. It's at the expense of what we want most. So thinking about getting back on our own team versus combating ourselves when it comes to our money so that we can make choices and maximize the dollars we spend in the way that's going to make us the happiest. And there's definitely... Oh
0: go ahead. Oh no no no, I'm I just wanted to add to that and say that I find it really liberating when you can get clear on what's important to you and then suddenly you can say no with conviction. You know, I don't want to buy that because it's not important to me as it turns out and it what what maybe previously felt like a deprivation because you weren't getting yourself that you know fill in the blank now feels like liberation because that's money that you can now put towards something even more spectacular. Definitely. Yes. Yes. Right. So you talked about the importance of mindset work in your 30 day challenge. And so we know a lot of our mindset is shaped from our children, our childhoods, and how we experienced and related to money as kids. So uh, and Chase Slate, our sponsor, actually did a survey and found that over half of parents have talked to their kids about money at some point. And so Wanted to ask you the question of what was your biggest sort of money memory as a kid growing up? What did your parents teach you that was really impactful?
1: I grew up with an allowance, um, and it was a system that we split up our money into three buckets one was spend now, one was save, and one was give. And something that really impacted my money mindset, and it's actually negative. And I remember it really vividly is I was saving up and I, I searched and searched, but I can't find the name of this doll, but it was a doll in the nineties that I had. And I wanted to buy her a riding outfit and it was $28 and I had the magazine and I checked off the riding outfit and I put $28 cash in an envelope and it, mostly probably in ones given my allowance and I shipped it off and, and I never got my, own. Oh, no. Outfit. And I don't know. Maybe it got stolen in the mail. Maybe I didn't break. I was six years old. I don't know if my. Did you tell a parent you were doing this? No, I did not. Oh boy, I was you know independent. Had my allowance money. Was so excited. And so some takeaways that I think I took from this that were pretty negative was you know money's not fair. It's not straightforward. I should really leave this to the grown ups. What's the point? I'm not good at this. And when you think about my the rest of my life and money until I was around 25. I was kind of driven by those beliefs as I wasn't facing my, my numbers at all.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's a lot of money for a six year
1: old. I know I had a great, it was the amount of allowance was your age. And then you divided it by those three. So it was a, a very good allowance.
0: What's your take on allowances now? parents often ask me, what's the best way to teach kids money management or money, good money behavior. And so curious to know what your thoughts are on that.
1: That's a great question. I think so along the lines of my philosophy, I definitely don't think there's one right way to do an allowance, but I I do find with my, the parents I work with that there's this fear that you have to look perfect and and you don't want to share any of your mistakes with your children. And I think when we make a mistake, even if it's in the present or the past, it's such a great way to have a conversation about something and maybe prevent our children from not having to experience the same thing. Mm. Um, and then I do, I think there's a, a balance. I, I know a lot of people say, you know, it's the only time you don't have to worry about money. So I want to let them enjoy that. But I've heard of parents doing a time of day or a t- day that kids can ask what anything costs mm. or, so I think as long as you're facilitating a conversation and it's not dogmatic, it's, it's sharing and open and they can ask questions. I think that's great to start the conversation early.
0: Yeah, and not to underestimate their ability to really understand seemingly abstract concepts. You know, they have more potential than you think. And I have heard that starting as young as five and six years old to talk about what money means and what is money and currency is not too early to start that at that age because when they go to school and they see other kids with, Bringing different things to school, whether it's like the fan, have one kid bringing in a fancy lunch or a lunchbox or talking about a vacation that they took, they start to see the different economies at play. It's important at home you're having, a, a, like you said, an open dialogue about, you know, what things cost and how to earn things. And we digress. Let's talk about your biggest money failure. You talked about, you kind of hinted at the, the fact that when you were transitioning to, I guess, when you were leaving your corporate job and found Wall Street, you kind of like blew your paycheck <laughs> um, or your savings rather.
1: Definitely. It was just withering away because when I was in investment banking, I had no free time. So whenever I did anything, I could really do whatever I wanted because it was once a month and I had a great paycheck. And then when I left every day around five or six in the sunlight, I, there were so many things that I wanted to do and could do and had a lot more time to spend my money. Um, so I think definitely there was a 100% an issue with spending and budgeting. But I say the biggest loss that I had was when I took that coworker's investing advice um, and he sounded just so confident and speculative. He was doing a speculative investment hmm. and I just assumed that he knew what he was talking about. And it, again, it kind of fed this, this idea that I, I realized most people have no idea and they brag about their wins and are very quiet about their losses. And I learned then and there that I want to know exactly what's happening with my money. <laughs> Yeah. And
0: now you're married. I saw your beautiful wedding photos online. And I wonder what's your biggest advice for women in relationships when it comes to money management?
1: Yeah. So one thing I've noticed in opposites attract, they tend to attract in our financial, on the financial side of our relationship too. So there's typically a saver and a spender. And we typically polarize each other. So the spender becomes more spendy and the saver becomes more savvy. But one thing that I do that I recommend all my couples and I do with my husband is have money parties. So staying, something you mentioned too, is putting your head in the sand and, and handing over whether it's the all of your finances or just the investments to your partner. Um, so staying in those conversations. And I found, there's so many things to say, but I found that if, for example, as a couple, you have a financial advisor and often some of my clients will feel... Uncomfortable in those situations, or made to feel stupid, or feel like they're not comfortable asking questions, to just stay in those conversations, ask questions, do the research, and then have bi weekly or monthly money parties where you check in on how your goals are, um, what you're spending, and make it fun, make it a judgment free zone, um, and just stay in that conversation together on the regular.
0: I love that it's a party and not just a meeting or a gathering. Do you, how do you make it a party?
1: So everyone has to make it a party a little differently. And if you try something that you think will make it fun and it doesn't, just try something else. We typically do it over dinner and some wine. And so you can either make the party fun itself by having music or getting comfy or um, having your favorite beverage. Or you can also do a reward for after the party. So before date night or with your girlfriends, have your money parties and then everybody goes out. So we work really well with rewards. So rewarding yourself for keeping your promise to yourself to do your money party.
0: So back to your book that's coming out early 2019. Share with us some of the kind of unique insights and takeaways. Um, What was your favorite part of writing the book as far as what you felt was like a really important message you were bringing into the world.
1: It's a great question. So the book is going to be a workbook and it actually is taking the money cleanse course and turning it into a book. So it's beautifully designed, colored workbook. And I wrote it actually, I gave myself a deadline to write it before my son was born because I didn't know what new motherhood would be like. And if I would have any time to write and One of my favorites, so a lot of my favorite parts of the book are mindset reframes. So looking at things in a different way that make it easy to stick to them. And one that I love is thinking about each expense in terms of the opportunity cost. So if sometimes it's helpful to just see the annual number of something that you spend on. So if you say, I get lunch out every day and this is how much it costs. So that's $3,600 a year. To some people, they'll think, oh, my God, that's way too much. And I'm going to now bring my lunch a few times a week. And for others, that's just a number. And it's not really clear if that's valuable to them, if they want to be doing that. If, so to look at that 3,600 in terms of something that would make you really happy that you're currently doing that you could do more of or something you're not doing that you could actually do. So, if you want to go on a vacation, what would a thirty six hundred dollars towards your vacation look like? Mm, or a lot? How many? Yes, how many <laughs> dinners with friends could you have for that same amount? So, instead of just saying this is the number that you're spending, what does that look like in terms of a trade off?
0: Yeah, what's it worth to you? I like yeah. that. You know, um, or or what if you invested that, and what would that be in twenty years? Right. We used to do yeah. this thing at thestreet.com dot com when I was a reporter there. We would uh, write about kind of like the trade off of not buying the iPhone because we love to cover Apple there, and and we would put the cost of the iPhone, let's say it was like you know four hundred dollars, into a retirement calculator, and we were like, if you don't buy this iPhone, instead maybe every three years you put four hundred dollars into a retirement portfolio cuz let's say every year there's a new every 3 years there's a new model <laughs> and so you have to buy a new one um it would be like tens of thousands of dollars in retirement so it was just kind of an interesting way to look at cost of opportunity costs you know what you were not that everything is an opportunity cost but um i i love those games i love those games too <laughs> uh all right so what's your number one money habit currently that helps you stay on top of your finances to avoid the the, 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 the old um, Ashley, you know, where she would blow her paychecks and kind of was a spend happy.
1: I guess the so one, one way I love to look at each expense is if it's because I think there's, it's interesting the treat yourself campaign. And I definitely think we deserve to be treated and I deserve to treat myself, but is something really truly a treat if and it's kind of in the same lines of the opportunity cost, but is it mindless? Is it marketing that's making me think this thing is a treat to myself? What is what is the real treat for me, and will this make me actually happy more than fifteen seconds? And then something else that I've been doing—I've through this work and this, I guess, just past my four years of running the fiscal fem full time, I've I've gotten really good at being fabulously frugal, and that's living fabulously while saving for your goals and not spending as much. And something that I'm working on now is the earning piece. So how to build wealth, um, increase your income. And so I've been doing a morning meditation around earning and attracting wealth each morning.
0: Take me into that meditation. What are you thinking?
1: How are you manifesting? So I've done it a few different ways. Sometimes I'm just imagining money coming at me. And it's crazy, but this has really been working. And then another thing uh, through my wealth work that I've been doing, there's, it's like, what does it actually mean to you? Because we have a lot of baggage around wealth and being rich. And there's a lot of judgment around how people use their money. And there's, (laughs) I call it rich shaming. Um, But viewing, okay, what would you do with that? And so actually visualizing the part that gets you most excited about attracting this wealth so that it's much more tangible. And has it worked? So it's been a couple of weeks, and it's it's really been working. So I'll have to get back to you to tell you if I I hit my goals. But
0: how do you know it's working?
1: I've ha- a lot of new opportunities have been coming in, which I'm excited about. Hmm. And the goal is to quadruple the income this year. So we'll see to triple or quadruple. Would you quadruple. say? quadruple? Quadruple. You go, girl. Go, fiscal fam.
0: (laughs) Lead by example. I love it. All right, Ashley, let's do some so many fill in the blanks. And this is where I start a sentence, you finish it. First thing that jumps into your head. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do
1: is? I would start a rescue animal vineyard. Oh, (laughs) do you have pets? I have a dog. And I actually, I don't, I'm not even a cat person, but I spent a lot of time this morning. One of the feral cats in our um, backyard, he wanders around, was injured, and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get him medical care. But
0: that's still a huge working. problem, right? As pet owners and keeping their pets healthy and alive when they get injured, it can be really expensive, and who, no one really, I don't know, a lot of people who get pet insurance, although it exists. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a toss-up as to whether it's going to pay off.
1: It's almost like when you have a, a home, you should have kind of an emergency fund for the home. Yeah. Our pets, either pet insurance or an emergency fund for their vet bills are important.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. Okay. The one thing I spend on that makes my life easier
1: or better is? Number one right now is childcare. Oh, you're a mommy. I'm a mommy. Yes. I didn't know that. Well, uh,
0: congrats. How long have you been a parent?
1: Eli is 10 months old yesterday. Oh, Eli. Is he walking yet? No, he's... That's (laughs) early. I'm, I'm... (laughs) He's pretty chubby. So he's not doing a whole lot other than rolling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. That's fair. My kids didn't start walking until like 14 months and, um, you know, that's fine. It's cuz after that it's it's a whole different ball ball game.
1: I can imagine. <laughs> yeah.
0: Then it's climbing and then it's running and someone said to me the other day that you know, we're as parents we're always like super insistent on getting our kids to walk and talk and then once they hit like 10, all we want them to do is uh, be quiet and sit down. (laughs) I mean, that was like maybe an old generation. Nowadays, we're all about getting out there and being true to you. Yes. Uh, (laughs) But all right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because...
1: I have three, but I should probably just pick one. So um, right now I'm donating a lot to cleft organizations because Eli has a, well, he had a cleft lip, but now he still has a cleft palate. So it's a a cause near and dear. Yeah. To our heart.
0: That's cool. That's really, that's how it always usually works, right? You know, mm-hmm. you need Definitely. like a personal draw. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is that saving is a gift to myself, not about deprivation. Yeah. And don't send money in the mail. Don't send cash (laughs) in the mail to a P.O. box or whatever.
1: (laughs) I know. I I need to figure out who that – what that company was. Man, I know. Let's investigate.
0: (laughs) And last but not least, I'm Ashley Feinstein-Gersley, the fiscal femme. I'm so money because –
1: Because I'm changing the conversation around money to work for us as individuals and women –
0: As a whole. Thank you so much, Ashley, for the work that you do. We'll put all of your links on our site. And we're wishing you all the best as you continue this important journey to help women, help everybody master their money, and uh, enjoy that little baby of yours. Talk to you soon. Thank you you so much. To learn more about Ashley, head over to thefiscalfem.com. You can also follow her on Instagram and Twitter at the Fiscal Femme. All this info is back at somoneypodcast.com. You can grab the transcript and the audio for free. You can also click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your Friday questions. And by the way, anybody here want to start a podcast? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Well, I've decided to start in the fall a podcast mastermind, a small group of folks who want to start quality podcasts don't know where to begin, or maybe just need a little bit of motivation, accountability, we want to help you get there in 12 weeks. So if you have a goal for starting a podcast in 2019 or bust, send me a note. Email me, Farnoosh at Farnoosh.tv, or you can go to Instagram and send me a direct message and let me know there that you heard about this and you want me to send you some more information. Let's get in touch because it's a limited number of people, just 10 or 12 seats, and uh, the train has left the station, so I need to get my act together and figure this thing out. Let's make it happen, and I hope to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and I hope your day is so money.